And it is my delight to introduce our speaker for this morning, a man who is passionate and will guide us, uplift us, and create more sunshine, Dr. Reverend Patrick Cameron. Good morning, and welcome, and happy Mother's Day. I'll get things out here and organize a little bit. That should work. All right. Ah, morning. Let's um, sing a song and say a prayer. If you'd like to stand and sing with me, that'd be great. If not, please stay seated. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy. For all the world And there's quite enough love And quite enough power To walk through our every fear For spirit One spirit Is in this very room In this very room In this very room In recognition of that living spirit That one life, that one presence Speaking for each person here in the I am I choose that life as my life in this moment I choose to live more and more and more For my true self That divine Self, that free self. And so what I know that is asked and required of me is discernment and choosing wisely. How do I know? What are the right choices? And so I know that our conversation today is guided in every good way that informs and instructs and nurtures that true self to be revealed more and more fully in, in the, the I am of each individual. For you... For you and I to go out in the world and model this in a way that is transformative, not only for ourselves and our families, but for everyone. We have just sung a song, enough love in this room for the entire world, and it is true. It is true. It is not a fantasy. And so I just give thanks, standing in that freedom and that awareness and the grace and the beauty of this beautiful Mother's Day, this beautiful day of sunlight and blue skies, this day of new life being blossoming forth. May we be inspired in our own consciousness to reveal that. May that be our experience. For this I give thanks and together we say, and so it is. I see God in every moment. Uh, It's one of my all-time favorite songs. I used to sing it every Sunday uh, when I started. uh, I was the music department as well as the minister in my first church. And our music director would come in. I was telling the story, and I got lost in that last service. I can finish it now. And he would. We had no music budget, and and so we 
we, we'd invite people to come and sing, but I sang most of the time. And so every Sunday morning, I'd get there at about 6.30, and I'd learn three new songs. And, uh, and the people were so happy to have any music at all, they just thought it was wonderful. And they didn't know that I was just making it up as I went along. So, and I See God in Every Moment was one of the songs we do in this very room, and I used to sing that every Sunday, I See God in Every Moment. I just love that song. So when I hear it, I'm just transported back to those memories. So this morning is Mother's Day, and I bet you just about everybody here had a mother. Anybody here didn't have a mother? Okay. Well, see, we all got that in common. I went over to Second Cup between services. Smoked a cigar, drank a gallon of coffee, I'm good to go. I, uh, I went online and I looked at, um, uh, found an article called The Evolution of Moms. And I thought this was really uh, appropriate for today, for Mother's Day. And it talks about having your first baby, second baby, third baby. So the first uh, bit I want to share with you is that the first baby, you begin wearing maternity clothes as soon as your OBGYN confirms your pregnancy. Your second baby, you, you wear regular clothes for as long as possible. And your third baby, your maternity clothes are your regular clothes. <laughs> they get better after that, don't worry. So, anyway, we're talking today about choices, wise choices, and how do I know. And it was inspired really by my, um, my mentor last week. I uh, was here, one of my mentors, one of my teachers, De- uh, Reverend Dennis Merritt Jones, his book, The Art of Uncertainty. He was sharing with me that um, there's a wonderful speaker on the planet by the name of Les Brown. And Les, is, uh, he's been around forever. I don't know if you've ever seen him, but he's, he's an inspirational speaker, keynote speaker. And Dennis happened to be at the Westlake Church of Religious Science a couple weeks ago, or he, he stops in. We have a mutual friend there, Reverend Maureen Hoyt, and, and Dennis lives in the neighborhood, so if he's around, he heads over there. And Les Brown was there speaking on a Friday night, and, and Les was introduced to Dennis. He said, are you Dennis Merritt Jones? And he said, yeah. And now Les Brown has just gone through cancer and um, heart problems. And he said, I go to bed every night with your book, The Art of Uncertainty. And uh, he was quite delighted to have Les um, say that to him. But what inspired uh, this, this conversation I wanted to have with you today about choices, and it, it's chapter 12 in Dr. Dennis's book, How Conscious Are Your Choices? And How Do I Know? So how do we know when we're making choices? And there's a wonderful quote at the beginning of the chapter by Gary Zukoff. It says, Choice is the engine of our evolution. Choice is the engine of our evolution. If you choose unconsciously, you will evolve unconsciously. And if you choose consciously, you will evolve Consciously. So very simple. But what does that take? Because we know all these things. And how do we get there? How do we use this stuff effectively in our lives? And how does it tie in with Mother's Day and all these things? Irving Seal lends as I sort of build this this conversation. Irving Seal was a wonderful teacher, minister. He was a contemporary of Emmett Fox. Most people know Emmett Fox if you're in the New Thought Movement. He, he, wonderful writer. Emmett's an amazing, amazing man um, and had a church, a very large church in New York City. And across the street from him, Irving Seal had a church. And I love Emmett. He used to say, I'm going to be taking three months off in the summer so you guys find a good spiritual home. Keep on with the work. If you don't find anything good here, Irving's across the street. Go check him out. And so Irving, but Irving Seal was a wonderful writer. He wrote a book called um, Learning to Live, which is really about taking the metaphors of the Bible 
and, and putting them into contemporary language and, and a way to interpret it for all of us. Another one of his books is called Take Off from Within. And what he says in this book on, on the bottom of page 12, he said, no person, not one of us, deliberately think, uh, think right simply because we wish to do so. None of us can do it just simply saying we think to think right because we think we can do so. He said, for many, thought, for many thoughts are thinking themselves involuntarily within themselves. And only when we see through the eyes of a Moses, through the eyes of the Christ consciousness, only when we stand upon the holy ground and understand the great mind principle does he have leverage over his thoughts. This is a really important piece. It's a really, really important piece because what we are, we are inundated and we are domesticated by mothers and fathers and culture to think in a certain way and then we carry that forward with us and then there's all this cultural stuff that comes at us that can, can just bury us in worry and, and illness and discord and dis-ease. And so what he's saying is that until we lift ourselves up in awareness, until we see with the eyes of the Moses or through the Christ consciousness, we have a really hard time taking um, mastery over our thought process. And to learn how to think is to learn how to live is what Dr. Holmes talked about. To learn how to think is to learn how to live. But it's not so much about, because if we change our thoughts at the level of, of, uh, level of consciousness we're at now, it's sort of like rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. The ship's still going down. And so what it requires is a, is a new trajectory, a new navigation system, and it's that consciousness upon the words. So as Erwin as Seal says, these thoughts have two sources, these thoughts that come at us. They are from the sense world. One is from the sense world around us. And he's already mentioned it. They are from the, and one is from the universal or God mind or the spirit, this being thought not yet conscious. From this latter source comes our inspiration. From, from the divine mind comes our inspiration. Comes our desires, our urges towards the ideal life. From the environmental side come suggestions of limitation, opposition, weakness, sickness. And from the inspirational side come hope, upreach, and outreach. And where these two kinds of thinking meet, there is usually conflict. And Erwin Seal says, where there's conflict, this is hell. This is hell on earth when we're in conflict with this. Because we have this, we have this old way of thinking and we have a new way. As we start to do the work, as Dr. Holmes in this, or Dennis Jones says in his chapter on, on choice, he talks about intuition ex- extensively. But how can we trust our intuition? How do we know when all of, all of our, our thoughts are being, we're being inundated from this, this, this old wineskin of thought that tells us that the, that the way to be in the world is, is one of limitation and struggle? We're not here to struggle. Irving Seal says that God in us makes us desire to be well. There's something within us that just knows that our divine inheritance is to be well, to be healthy, to be happy, to have a place in the sun and to be satisfied and fulfilled. This is instructive and inspirational, instinctive and inspirational. But in the arena of the human mind, it meets with the judgments and opinions and suggestions that come from the material side of life. And then we're in this quarrel. So this is, this is the human condition. This is the human condition. And this is why we come together to remind ourselves with this, this beautiful tradition of, of cultural creatives that said, you know, I don't think it's struggle, 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 and then I, if, I'm, if I'm good enough, the way I was raised, their tradition is then if I was, it was sort of good, then I would go to purgatory for a while. And then someone would pray for me to get out of purgatory, and then eventually I could get to heaven. Boy, that was exciting when you were six years old hearing that one. 
I, I've told the story many times. I used to have this stack of holy cards, and I used to ask my mom, how many holy cards do I have to have saved up before I can start having some fun? Not a good question to ask my mom. Albert Einstein said this about the intuitive mind. The intuitive mind is a sacred gift. It's a sacred gift. And the rational mind is a faithful servant. And when we, ha- when we have created a society that honors the servant and has forgotten the gift. The intuitive mind is a sacred gift. So how do we tap more and more into this intuitive mind? We choose to do so. We agree, even though it's not a reality, to say, you know what, I think I am a spiritual being. I think I am. I think there's something stirring with me that says wellness and happiness and freedom is my divine destination. Love only happens in the realm of freedom. Love only happens in the realm of freedom. So on Mother's Day, I brought some of these things along with you. I'll share another one with you. You pour over your baby name books, first baby. You pour over your name books and practice pronouncing and writing combinations of all your favorites. That's first baby. Second baby, someone has to name their kid after your great, great aunt Mavis, right? It might as well be you. Third baby, you open a, book, a name book, close your eyes, and see where your fingers fall. Bimaldo, perfect. One of my favorite guys right now, Franciscan priest, Richard Rohr, and his book, uh, Falling Upward. And I think it was Jason Schrapel turned me on to this guy. He was here at the first service. Where I think this is so important because it is Mother's Day. But I want to bring this into the conversation today because it's so powerful. And it's a couple of the most important and powerful things that Jesus of Nazareth ever said. Now, Jesus in the West, he informs the culture. He's a touchstone in the West, and it's been interpreted and filtered in many, many ways in many traditions. And, 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 but, but really in the West, if we think about spirituality, we think about a, an icon, it would be Jesus of Nazareth. And the way we interpret that is that we look at Jesus, not the great exception, but the great example. That these things I have done, ye shall do, and even greater. Which then means that what must I do to become the Christ consciousness? Which is what Ernest Holmes said. That's my, that was one of his goals in his, in, in his evolution and growth, to embody the Christ consciousness. At the beginning of chapter 6 and falling upward, Richard Rohr quotes two, uh, two of the uh, many times overlooked quotes from Jesus. Number one is from Matthew. He said, anyone who wants to save their life must lose it. Anyone who wants to save their life must lose it. What the heck does that mean? Anyone who loses his life will find it. What gain is there if you win the whole world and lose your very self? What can you offer in exchange for your one life? And then he goes to Luke. If anyone come to me and does not hate, he says hate, his father and his mother, his wife, his children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Isn't that interesting? Carl Jung said that so much unnecessary suffering comes into the world because people will not accept the legitimate suffering that comes from being human. What he's talking about in, in this, and on this Mother's Day, is the first half and the second half of life. And this is really, really important in, 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 in my understanding and my current evolution of what I see and as I work with people and as I work with my own sense of separation. 
Because our whole teaching is around, we're never separate from spirit. The, the indwelling spirit is right here, right now, in and through and as each and every one of us. That's a choice. You make that choice, everything changes. The problem is for most of us, we're so used to, my, my problem with me, I can't speak for you, but problem with me is I make that choice, then I want, the immediate, I want immediate results. I don't want to have to do any, I made the choice. And that nine-year-old within me wants, it to, that wants to be fulfilled right now. But it's gradual. Our journeys are gradual and sequential. And so we have this conditioning that comes at us from parents and conditioning. And then all of a sudden we realize there's this divine self. And then people back here, people of my, my family of origin would say, once I started to uh, tap into this idea of metaphysics and that the, something more was possible, that suffering wasn't necessary, they, they started calling me names and started judging me. So then not only did I have to struggle with taking on this new wineskin of belief, but I also had to figure out how to, how to maneuver the, that minefield of, of judgment and, and um, scorn. So I just kept my mouth shut. That's what I did. Kept going. Kept digging. Because as excited as I was about it, they weren't excited. They weren't happy. Where are you going? This is, our, this is who we are. We're this tribe right here. You can't join another tribe. Many of you, you're sitting here right now, you were not a few, but not a whole lot of us were raised in this tradition. But what, what, it, what Jesus was talking about is you have to leave your family of origin. You have to, believe, you have to leave this set of, of beliefs that you were given. All of us were given them. Carl Jung said, if we don't do the first half of life well, we can't do the second half of life. You watch, you watch, I know people, men, women in their 50s and 60s still struggling with getting through that first half of life, still living from the wounded boy or the wounded girl and carrying it into adulthood and it, it colors everything. And, and if you don't have the awareness, if you haven't been exposed to some of these ideas and the possibility, how would you know any other thing? But it is it's so important we do this work. When, uh, Richard Rohr says, one of the major blocks against the second journey is what we would now call the collective, the crowd, our society, or our extended family. Some call it the, the crab bucket syndrome. You try to get out, but the other crabs just keep pulling you back in. You know, m- many of you know that story. The crabs, when they, they're in the, the basket, they've been caught. As soon as the crab starts to climb over the side, the other cra- crabs grab it and pull it back down. You might, you might get beyond it in a negative sense by reacting or rebelling against it, but it is much less common to get out of the crab bucket in a positive way. That is what we are, and that's what we want here. Jesus uses quite strong words to push us out of the family nest and to name a necessary suffering at the most personal, counterintuitive, and sentimental level possible. It takes a huge push, much self-doubt, and some degree of separation for people to find their own soul and their own destiny apart from mom and dad's. What mom and dad always wanted them to be or to do, to move beyond family of origin stuff, local church stuff, cultural stuff, flag and country stuff is a path that few of us follow positively and with integrity. The pull is too great. The loyal soldier fills us with appropriate guilt, shame, self-doubt, which, as we said earlier, feels like the very voice of God. It's that self-doubt. And see, it's, so, it's endemic. And so if we, don't, if we don't have the conversation, we talk, someone came up to me after first service, I didn't even understand the first half and second half of life. I said, yeah, it's just so important. So Jesus pulls no punches. 
We all must leave home to find the real and larger home. We all must leave home. But if, we don't, if we're not able to listen to the intuition and trust it and, and act upon it, that's why we do spiritual practice. That's why we bring people in and say, you need a meditation practice. I was at a Silomar one year and someone, I'm in a minister's meeting. It was big, we had a big congress every year. And somebody raised their hand and said, is it possible to do this work without meditation? It was our James Golden, our, spiritual, our president at the time and spiritual leader. He says, is it possible to do this work <clears throat> without meditating? And, and he looked, he thought for a second and said, well, he said, I think anything's possible, but it's not likely. You know, to, to have some reflection in our lives, to be able to sit still with ourselves long enough to let these things come up. We've been doing these sacred healing circles here. They are so powerful and so beautiful and so wonderful to sit together in this, this in it, it, is the, it is the group, it is the group healing. We did the kirtan last night. We sat in here and we did call and response to these ancient, ancient Hindu words. And, and it was beautiful. It's just beautiful. It, it's an altered state of consciousness. And it's, it, 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 it fills one's sense with joy. But we still have to, beyond that, do the work. We did the laughing yoga here a couple weeks ago. Wonderful stuff. People were laughing up and down the halls for a few days. But you still have to look at your life deeply and figure out what's still driving your behavior. What is, it, what is the core belief that I have that I was given when I was very small? I worked with my mentor this month on first experience with money. We went back and we looked at it. And then, we, and, and then what we did is we, the practice to release it and embody something new. Because it's been a wonderful practice, but I'm, no, I'm, I'm not interested in that anymore. I'm interested in something more interesting and more fulfilling. We all have it. It's layer upon layer upon layer. And so this is the work, and this is a tool, and this is why I'm so committed to it, because so many of us didn't get parented really well. I love my mom. She's an amazing woman. She's 90 years old. She's ticked off right now because they won't let her drive at night. Drive at night? (laughs) Okay. Couldn't we just get you a cab? But, I mean, that's her spirit. That's her energy. As soon as she got the last kid, there were 11 of us, as you know, most of you know. As soon as she got the 11th one out of the house, she went to work. She went and got a full-time job. She said, I'm going to have my own money, do my own thing. You go, Mom. And so I stand here, and I'll tell you what, you know, my, what, what, what I look back as I was doing this work this week, I thought about my own journey. 16 years old, been in the Catholic school, and I, was still, I still continued with all that because I didn't have the, the availability and the, and the courage to say, no, I, this isn't for me, so I kept going. But I remember starting to explore the alternatives. And so for me, me, the alternatives were, I wrote them down here, I was thinking about it this morning. The alternatives were, oh, I remember, <clears throat> it took me about six months to go in the door. But you, you know, now we have all this stuff. You can go to any bookstore, you can go to chapters, you can find stuff on, on new thought and metaphysics and the law of attraction and all this stuff's out there. Well, when I was 16 years old, there was none of that stuff. So I had to go to the occult bookstore in downtown St. Paul, down by the train station, in the bad part of town, and it was really dark in there. They had like one light bulb swinging and hanging. I walk in, there's some lady sitting there, and she's got a witch's hat on and a robe on, and I'm like, ooh, yeah, I'm just looking around. And she did my horoscope for me, told me nothing. I went to a seance, Went to a seance. They had all the windows taped up. I mean, I, I just threw myself into this stuff. They, they had all the windows taped up. You could not see your hand in front of your face at the seance. And then my spiritual guide showed up through this medium, and, and rocks were dropping out of the atmosphere, and everybody got their own special rock. 
But the thing that bothered me the most is my spiritual guide showed up and didn't know my name because she didn't know me. And I was sitting next to a guy at the time and he kind of nudged me and he said, it was so dark in here I couldn't even see her throwing the rocks up in the air. But, but the point being, what I did is I went through all this stuff because I was fascinated by it. I'll never forget, um, and what I realized in it was, it was what was co- the common denominator. I'm not recommending this as spiritual practice, by the way. The common denominator was my consciousness, my belief system. And I looked at it and I said, you know, this is no different than the saints in the rosary. They're just using, they're using affirmations or they're using incantations or whatever. It was a whole a little eclectic group of everybody. It was like one from each modality, you know, hung out together. But I realized this is consciousness. I'll never forget, on a Sunday, I don't know the name of the church, I don't remember the minister, but it was, a, it was a one visit to a community like this. And, a, and, a, and the music was amazing and powerful, and the message was meaningful, and it made sense to me. It spoke to my true self. And I said, oh my God, that's for me. That's for me. But if I hadn't had that experience, I don't know. So I had to go through all the mumbo-jumbo and like the stuff that I just knew was not for me either. I didn't want to be a white witch. I didn't want to be holding seances and telling people, you know, the, the information was so arbitrary. I like to tell people I outgrew my horoscope a long time ago because I started choosing. I started choosing. You get up in the morning and read your horoscope, you agree to it, what's your day going to look like? So, you know, some people say, well, want me to read your horoscope? Nope. Not interested. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create my own day. But that's where I was in consciousness. And your experience may be different. But what I'm saying is, is that we all... And so with this, if I didn't have that foundation of, of the, 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 the core belief, the, the Catholic faith, and all that was built on, for me to step over into this other modality and to explore it, and then be able to make the comparisons, I don't know where I would have ended up. I needed that foundational piece to, to examine this and bring myself back to center and say, this is for me, I can walk this path. This is, this is broad enough and wide enough for me. And, and, and I needed that, and I needed the comfort of knowing I could quit any time. I, it didn't work for me to somebody say, you're going to burn in hell forever if you, if you step away. That's a lot of pressure. When I was 10 years old, I've told this story. I haven't told it in years, so if you haven't been here in a while. But I was 10 years old, my my buddy and I decided we're going to spend all day in a tree. We're going to live in our tree house for the full day. And we made a lunch, and we went up in the tree. And about 9 o'clock in the morning, because there's not much to do when you're sitting in a tree. Have you ever sat in a tree and tried to do it all day? It's very boring. No radio, no TV, no comic books. I don't know what we were thinking, but we got tired of gazing at one another after about 45 minutes. I said, I think it's lunchtime. He said, yeah, I think it is lunchtime. What time is it? Oh, it's got to be noon. Neither one of us owned to watch. We're 10 years old. So we started eating a lunch, and we eat our, our bologna sandwiches. And I had a big mayonnaise jar full of milk, and we swapped that, and we had our dessert. And Some guy walked by. I said, what time is it? The guy says, 9.30. So, okay. We're a little off schedule. And then I realized that it was Friday, and I'm Catholic, and I just ate meat. Now, I, you know, if I thought a little bit, bologna's not meat. I don't think there's any meat in bologna. <laughs> but I'll tell you the guilt and the shame that I felt from that. And so within a, within a half hour of that realization, I, I grabbed onto a tree branch. It snapped, and I fell about 
30 feet and crushed three vertebrae in my, my upper back. And I know consciousness plays itself out. I felt such guilt and shame sitting there once I realized it was Friday and I was eating. And I think I probably re- realized it was Friday while I was eating, which was even worse. But I just thought about that. So is that what a loving God wanted for a 10-year-old boy? And it wasn't because my parents were trying to create those kind of things for me. But the, to carry forward the wisdom and to be able to communicate in a way to say to our children, look, you're going to make mistakes. You are going to make mistakes. This whole idea that there's a wonderful new program coming on TV called The Network, I think it is, with Jeff, Jeff Daniels. And one of the kids stands up and says, tell us why the United States is the greatest country in the world. And he goes off in this litany of, you think it's the greatest nation in the world? You're 49th and in, uh, um, just on and on with all the statistics. But to think that we're just great because we're great, that's that personality saying, we're just great because I'm here and we're great. We're divine. And we're geared to make mistakes and we're here to grow. And we're here to develop ourselves and find our talents and give those gifts to the world. But just showing up and saying, I'm great, creates a a culture of entitlement. We have to, I I remember Dr. Gans telling me one time that that confidence needs to come from competence. That we need to nurture our children into into, being able to do things well and right so that, so that um, they, they get wings. I remember as a kid going to my dad one time, and there was this brand new bike, and I had to have the bike. And I said, Dad, I gotta, you know, this is beautiful. It's got a banana seat on it, and it's red. It's perfect for a guy like me. It's got my name on it. And he says, yeah, it is perfect for a guy like you. I said, sweet. All I need is $49.95, Dad. My dad says, yeah, all you need is $49.95. And I'm standing there like this. And he says, come on. Well, the bike's right here. Where are we going? He says, come on. He takes me home and he opens up a savings account for me. And he says, now you take money and you put it in your savings account. And when you get $49.95, you can buy that bike. Nah. Are you kidding? But he, he just knew to give me $49.95 to buy the bike... What, would, what, what was I going to need next? And where was I going to go next? In his wisdom, he understood that to teach me how to, how to create good in my life and, and to work towards it. What a gift. What a gift. You know, we, we like to have the immediate gratification, but it was like, oh. And I worked for like, I would get $5 a week working for him. And at the end of every week, I had spent it all. <laughs> what happened between Friday and Friday here? I think I saved for that bike for three years. I finally got it. I finally figured it out. The point is, what that experience did for me, that early experience let me know that if I, wanted, if I set an intention to have something in my life, I could do it. I could do it. It wasn't going to be overnight. I want it overnight. You know, when Ernest Holmes came along and all these great teachers and said, you, are the, you can be your true self. You can live powerfully and wonderfully and live in freedom. He didn't promise overnight. We're here to work through all these things. We are the ones that need to stand up for ourselves and say, you know what? I get it. I get where my family of origin came from. I get all the messages that my mother gave me and my father gave me. And that was their experience. And I'm breaking the pattern right here and right now. And I'm stepping into the unknown. I'm stepping into the mystery. I've said it over and over again. This is a love story. This teaching is a love story. Love only happens in the realm of freedom. 
Love only happens in the realm of freedom. Otherwise, it's a limited form of love. It's not love. First baby. You pre-wash your newborn's clothes, you color coordinate them, and you fold them neatly in the baby's little bureau. Second baby. You check to make sure that the other clothes are clean and discard only the ones with the darkest stains. Your third baby. Boys can wear pink, can't they? Believe me, I had seven sisters. I wore a lot of pink. Some of us were wearing the maternity clothes after a while. What do you got on? I don't know. <laughs> Found it in mom's closet. Seemed to be clean. Thought I'd wear it to school. Perhaps it never struck you, as Richard Rohr once again, perhaps it never struck you how consistently the great religious teachers and founders leave home to go on pilgrimage to far-off places, do a major turnabout, choose downward mobility, and how often it is their parents, the established religion at the time, spiritual authority, and often even civil authorities who fight against them. Read the biographies of Hindu sadhus, Buddha, Ashoka, Abraham, Joseph, Moses, Jesus, Sufi saints, St. Francis. Have you ever seen the, the father, son, uh, father, Moon, Sister, Son? By St. Francis? St. Francis's father was just wealthy. Just a wealthy, wealthy man. And finally St. Francis said, I've had enough. He took all the, all the great garments he had, threw them off and stood in the square, buck naked, and walked out of town. He said, I'm done. Walked out of town. And started to go rebuild this church. I'm not saying we all have to do that. Thank God St. Francis came along. I'd be nominating you for that if, it was, if he hadn't done it. But the point is, all of us have to put things down in order to be our true selves. How much so- Roar asks, how much false self are you willing to shed to find your true self? How much of your false self are you willing to, to find your true self? We have to leave, don't leave home without it. He says, leave home to find it. Leave home to find it. He said it will die, it will and must die in exact correlation to how much you want the real. Your true self is who you obediently are from the beginning in the mind and heart of God. It is your substantial self, your absolute identity, which can be neither gained nor lost by any technique, group affiliation, morality, or formula whatsoever. The surrendering of our false self, which we have usually taken for our absolute identity, yet is merely a relative identity, is the necessary suffering needed to find the pearl of great price that is always hidden inside this lovely but passing shell. It's already there. It's already there. It's such good news. We've been doing that. The the sacred healing circles I've been talking to you about, if you feel guided to come to one of those, but... It's such powerful work. Identifying that core belief, those patterns that got, that got impressed upon us and then releasing it and releasing it and embodying a new idea. That's powerful, powerful work. And so our, our, the, the way I think that we best honor our, our, our parents is by giving birth to that true self in a larger and larger way. We're going to live the next period of time anyway. Why not choose to live from that? 
Why not choose to understand that as I move into it more deeply and more intimately and make this my sacred covenant with myself, that it's going to be uncomfortable. But it's necessary for all of us. My teacher always used to say, you can do it now or you can do it later. And I I, I never forgot that. I might as well do it now. And what are we being called to? In this, we, we, we came at this time to give birth to this consciousness. This is what we're doing here. We're creating this new cathedral. It's a cathedral of consciousness. It's a cathedral that's making a, a huge difference in the world. And I see it happening. I, I see good breaking out all over. You know, when we go out and we find ourselves gossiping this week about one another, let's gossip good about one another. When someone at work starts gossiping, just start, just start gossiping good. Turn it right around. You know, they go on and on and on about so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. you see what Yeah, but they have beautiful eyes, don't they? And look how bright their teeth are. There's always a way to turn it around for ourselves and for others. And that's why we're here. You know, I, I think of my mother and all that she did for me and all the, you know, the, all the work and, and the, the, the lovely, lovely, lovely woman. I'm so grateful for all that she... I'm so glad that she... She enrolled me in Catholic school and I got exposure to the nuns and the priests and all of that tradition. It was beautiful, wonderful. I just, you know, for me it was all about the rules and, not, and staying out of trouble. But without that foundational piece, could I, it gave me the spiritual legs to, to, to blossom. To blossom. And all of us, we could have come no other way. This is a beautiful, beautiful opportunity to be alive, to be on this planet, to do the work, to choose in a new way. So how will you choose in a new way today for yourself? It's a beautiful blessing. Your mom would be proud of you. But what's important is that you're proud of you. It's not, it's, what's important is not what's happening to us, but what's happening within us. Blessings, so it is.